Hey, listeners, we stand on a precipice with the world watching and are asked to take a stand against systemic racism, police brutality, and the general oppression and mistreatment of our brothers, sisters, and neighbors. To quote Outrageous Mechanism's co-founder, Andrew Crawford, the things we do now will define us as people, as communities, as societies, for all future generations. So do the right thing. Space Bras and Outrageous Mechanisms stands unequivocally with Black Lives Matter and the uprising sparked by the murder of George Floyd and countless other black men and women. We are not going back to business as usual and ignoring the murder and mistreatment of black, indigenous, and people of color in our society. Please don't either. Stay engaged in the movement so that we may make a lasting change for generations to come. Take to the streets if you can, and please donate money to sustain the movement. Check the podcast description for links to bail relief funds, mutual aid funds for protesters who contract COVID-19, and Black-owned businesses. It just felt like, for the first time, that someone expected me to, to do something more with my life than just become a Victoria's Secret model. But I was just kidding myself. Callahan never saw me as a lawyer. He just saw me as a piece of ass. Just like everybody else. The hell with law school. I just wanted to say goodbye. If you're going to let one stupid prick ruin your life, you're not the girl I thought you were. Hi, welcome to Space Bros the sci-fi movie podcast for bad bitch feminists. I'm Kate, and with me is my campy partner in crime who would stand beside me whether we are taking legal action against sexual harassing jackasses or marching in the fucking streets for uh, the uplift of our fellow men and women. Uh, Mary Johnston, what up, girl? Hello. Well, (laughs) it just just keeps coming (laughs) this year. Yeah, I was... I was thinking about this podcast and I was like, I know we recorded like two weeks ago, but holy shit, so much has happened. <laughs> um, yeah, so much has happened and so much will continue to happen. It's just one of those years and it's a, it's good. Well, Kate, aren't you, aren't you just thrilled that the, uh, <laughs> that the human rights that you already had weren't ruthlessly snatched away from you for no reason? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um... <clears throat> I just, I understand why it could be appealing to be like, oh, we have a win, but like, these motherfuckers don't give a shit about you. We also, this is not a win. We also Keep your foot on the fucking gas. We also didn't, we didn't previously have a loss. It's just, right? Like, it's like a like manufactured, a- it's a manufactured win. It's like when you, it's like when you wake up and you'll have a lot to do to the day. So the first thing on your to-do list is wake up so you can cross it off immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly, like, don't get me exactly, wrong. Exactly. I'm happy. I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that just like um, wanton cruelty wasn't upheld by the Supreme Court. But um, yeah, but 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 I think it's important for us to remember that the Trump administration, like two days ago, uh, erased uh, protections for transgender people um, in, when it comes to health care. So, you know, <laughs> this is all just it, it's it's a lie. Uh, white queers uh, in our audience get back to fucking work. We don't get to celebrate yet. That's right. This isn't it. That's we wait right. until they defund the police. Yeah. Mm. And then there's like a million other things. There's a lot. Course, that, we got a lot but, to but do in our to-do That's the first when you get to celebrate. Uh, that's not the end of the battle because 
This is this is bigger than that. Um, honestly, honestly, uh, final, fine, like finally something is happening. <laughs> Black lives yes. matter. They've always mattered. They have always, always mattered. Always. And finally, it seems like we are saying it in the way that is getting some action. And that is good. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this and <clears throat> for as long as I can remember, I have been an outspoken and passionate person. Uh, I was taught that, you know, I was raised in the church and taught that we should treat one another as we want to be treated, that we were all created equal, that we are all God's children, whatever. I don't particularly hold on to religion anymore, but since I can remember, I have had no problem speaking about uh, bigotry being a fucking issue. And it used to be a thing where I realized people hated it when I talk about it because they didn't know what to do about it. Like, people, white people, not people, white people would get uncomfortable when you would talk about a systematic oppression um, because they, they felt powerless to do anything. So it was much easier if we didn't talk about it. So I feel like now it's like, not only we're we talking about it, but there's something you can actively do right now that everyone else is willing to participate in as well. And that like shocks the last people who like felt powerless into action and out of apathy. And that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a judgment here. That's great that people are stepping forward. I'm, that is exciting. This is an exciting moment. This could be the biggest thing to happen since the civil rights movement Right. Well, hopefully it builds on it, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Exa- no, exactly. That's what I meant. Yeah, you know, biggest thing since the civil rights movement. May we build upon that legacy, and instead of uh, instead of some some idea of like acceptance, let's get true equality for for, for other Black Americans. Well, other for Black humans. I don't know. I feel ugh. Yeah, no, no, no. I know what you're saying. I will say that um, allow allow me to address white ladies in the language of white ladies. <laughs> I have heard some of the most philosophically beautiful statements said to yelled, really quite frankly, yelled at me in spin classes. And one of the things that was yelled at me <laughs> that stays with me is... Um, we were we were doing a hill climb and we were standing and it's really hard, like really hard going, right? And we're entering the last minute of this hill climb, and the instructor is like, "Remember, when it gets uncomfortable, that's when it counts the most. That's when change happens. Uncomf- being uncomfortable is fear leaving your body and change happening." And I feel like that is something I love this. I love everything about this. Is something that I I think is true outside of spin class as well. Oh, of course it's true outside of spin class. Yeah. Like it's hilarious because it is also true in spin class, but of course it's bigger outside yeah. it's true outside of spin class. Yeah. She's talking about the muscle tone. She was talking about the muscle tone of my legs, but And we're talking about the muscle of society. Yeah, I'm right? talking about the muscle of society. If you feel uncomfortable that's good. You're doing work. Don't back yeah. away from feeling uncomfortable. Challenge yourself. Challenge the people around you. It's really hard. I know white people, especially well-meaning white people, which 
is the most dangerous in some ways form of white people. Oh my, yes. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> it's not, I mean, well, no. Well-meaning like, in the way that we, they uh, want to do something, but yep. they don't really want to listen about how to do it. Yeah, it's sort of like a Sisyphusian kind of yes. sadness where they, they roll the ball and then it falls back down on them. Anyway, <laughs> and I've been this white person. I get it. It's we, bad. We, oh, yeah. It's, mm. it's it's sad situation, but like... We want to center our work on anti-racism and being intersectional always, and doing that means we understand that we are going to fail all the time, and all we can do is improve and learn and listen and get better. Yeah. That's all we can do. Yeah, and I see a lot of, uh, a lot of fellow white people um, who are very well-meaning getting into the mode where they're like, just teach me all the rules... And I will follow all the rules, and then you won't be able to say that I'm racist. <laughs> and that's not great. I mean, that's fine. I understand. No, it's it's great if if you do the work yourself and go and read. And if that's if that's what it takes, you know, great. But, then you're another, but truly, more better educated. But truly, <laughs> that's for you. That is for us. That is spin yeah. class. That is me working on the muscle tone of my legs, which does not yes. matter to anybody else. Work it does the muscles not... of your brain and, and, and right. start to unlearn some that's... societally enforced implicit bias. That's wonderful. That's good. You have yeah. now that's, you have that's, now that's important. You've now done something really good for yourself. Now do something you have, you have, good for the landed, world. <laughs> yeah. You have now landed on the headquarters of the Rebel Alliance. Welcome. You correct. Know? And correct. I don't say that as we're welcoming you, I'm saying we're all, you know. May we all be welcomed into this, but but you need to do more than just work on yourself. Right. Like, just like just like every day, we need to do more than like eat healthy and work out. You also have to participate yeah. in the larger systems, and and that's where the real work comes. And I, I think that this metaphor works, but it's also never going to be over. Like you're never going to be done. Like exactly. not in anything in life, no, nor this. And things are going to change and opinion is going to change and society is going to change, hopefully. And everything is in flux. So you can't just learn the rules once and then move forward with your life. You have to keep up with it. You got to keep going. Um, and, you know, just like just like like life is messy and life is holistic and how sometimes maybe you go to spin class because you ate a ho-ho, so you had the energy to do that, and that you should consider that a net positive. Maybe maybe you don't know everything yet, but keep your heart open and go out there yeah. and talk to people and do your f- best. Just do your best, like seriously, but like in a real way. Like like be prepared for people to check you, be prepared for all that stuff, and and take it in with kindness and know that it's it's helping you grow. You don't you don't have to know everything. Don't you don't have to do all your homework to start doing something that makes the world better. You know? Absolutely. Don't sit back and wait until yeah. like <clears throat> until you are You've you've done enough on your own that now you can like go out into the you're world. You're bulletproof. Like, no one's yeah. bulletproof. No come, one will come ever out be bulletproof. Come on out. Come, and done, that's 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 my point. Mary and I have been co-hosting a feminist sci-fi movie podcast for uh, two years now, and we're still doing the work because it doesn't just end. No. Like we're not bulletproof. Like no, I'm and frequently we're, but, wrong. The thing is, we're happy to keep trying. Yeah. To get better and be better at what we're doing. And we're just asking you to do the same thing. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And think about it this way. You don't... You already have 
a body that looks good in a bathing suit. Just put on a bathing suit and go swimming. You don't have to wait to lose weight. You don't have to wait to, like, you know, firm your firm up the cellulite on the back of your thighs. Just go out there and start doing stuff and enjoying life. And then all of those things, good things will come to you or they might not. And it doesn't matter because you're having a good time. Doesn't matter. Yep. Apply that same logic to this situation. You don't have to have a PhD in race relations in America to go out there and do stuff that is meaningful, but you just need to go out today. Yes. But just go out there with the right frame of mind, which is I may be wrong and that's okay because I'm going to (laughs) learn. That's it. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to shut up and listen. And it's okay to, um, to amplify other voices, which right now I'm going to take a moment to say, Hey, I know for a fact, we're not the only podcast you listen to. The stats just would be astronomical that we're the only podcast you listen to. So, also while you're listening to podcasts, your podcasts, <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> while you're listening to podcasts, uh, check out some podcasts that are run by uh, Black folks who are willing, who are already doing the work of of communicating what the hell's happening, so that you can learn and not ask the Black people in your life to educate you and do the emotional labor for you. Um, I'd like to particularly plug a podcast that just started, like right as this was all happening called Higher Learning. Um, that's very good. Still processing on the New York Times is also great. Um, I like, I like Champion Sharks too. I'd recommend Champion Sharks. Yeah. Go out there, listen, educate yourself. You know, it's okay to take a break and listen to a sci-fi movie podcast. We're here, but also do the work. Yeah. That's all. Uh, speaking of the work, we do have a couple things to touch on. Uh, so would you would you, like to, would you like to speak for the queer monolith, Kate? <laughs> Is it that time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. There. Well, first, I'd like to uh, speak truth to power. Um, assuming that maybe speak truth to privilege. Uh, I live in Atlanta. 3.2 miles away from me, um, a a man, Richard Brooks, was shot in the back multiple times by cops um, on Friday night in a Wendy's parking lot. He was drunk. He pulled in there. Um, the cops were called. Cops came up to the door. They woke up a drunk dude. At one point, he grabbed their taser. The whole point of a taser is... The justification is it's non-lethal force, so no one was scared for their lives. Uh, He then started running away. They have his car. They have his license. They have everything that is his. This was clearly like a drunk plan, not a well-thought-out plan. They were going to catch him no matter what. But so they shot him in the back. So. Twice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I just wanted to start by saying... Justice for Richard Brooks. Um, And we have to keep working. We have to keep fighting. One of the people speaking at George Floyd's funeral said that if we didn't make real change, that a week wouldn't go by without another black person being killed by cops. Two days later, Richard Brooks was killed in a city that I love. Um, Yeah. So... Yeah. I mean... This isn't over. No. (laughs) No. And you know what? Just because you think 
that you being the listener, you just just you're thinking to yourself, well, I mean, I don't know, like he was running or, oh, I don't know, like what part of town did that take place in? Or yeah, that wouldn't happen in my city or that wouldn't happen in my neighborhood or that doesn't happen in my state. I am here to tell you that you are wrong. <laughs> you yes. are so wrong yes. as yes. a person, as a person who moved from the south to the north and had these pie-eyed lunatic ideas that racism would just melt away. It doesn't happen. It does not happen. It's not like that. This is a American problem. It is a United States problem. It is every person's problem in and the it's United baked States. Into the goddamn foundation. Yep. When you have a country that's founding is is written by, and they use language like all men are created, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, um, but they are still white supremacist landowners, slave owners, white supremacist slave owners um, who only want to give power to other white men who own land. Um, it's not surprising that that is the, that is the effect that carries through. So it's not just about like changing some laws and about like being like, well, maybe we'll change like what a cop does. Like you gotta have, you ha- you have to break the system in order to fix it. So that's why you have to defund the police as a start. Um, yeah. Yeah. And speaking for the queer monolith, let's, let's, Hey guys, um, this is coming out in June. Uh, Pride usually month. this would be pride month. Uh, this month it's gay wrath month. That's, that's, that's what I'm picking up from the queer monolith. And I support, uh, Autostraddle, uh, my my favorite and the biggest uh, girl and girl culture uh, website, is um, has at least popularized, if not uh, coined, the the anthem uh, "No Justice, No Pride." So this isn't really Pride Month, um, but we're having we had. <laughs> a popular uh, children's book author, I'm sure none of you have heard about this, made some statements about uh, about trans women and also invoked, uh, super fun, uh, lesbians saying that all lesbians are also transphobic and saying that, like, trans women aren't women and, like, you know, biology is destiny and, you know. But what about really... bathrooms, Kate? <laughs> yeah. What about predators who are going to, like, rape everyone in bathrooms? Like, just the grossest pile of shit. As and if, also spoke up at a time. If you were a predator who was going to rape someone in a bathroom, you'd be like, oh, no, that's women only. Can't go in there. Well, <laughs> like, it, it, boggle, it boggles the mind. It's truly bananas. It boggles the mind. It's bananas. Um, anyway, uh, the, the, the upshot is that this raised a conversation, one that um, I have dedicated my Pride Month uh, before before this happened um not because i'm better than anyone else but because the first if you're queer then you've definitely heard the phrase the first pride was a riot and it was uh the stonewall riots started june 28th 1969 and went through july 3rd the first brick that was thrown was thrown by marsha p johnson a black trans woman in our community uh when she was killed the cops refuse to investigate because everything that's happening now has been happening for a long fucking time. And the good news is that uh, an ignorant white lady standing up and trying to change the conversation, an ignorant cishet white lady speaking on behalf of queers, <clears throat> standing up and trying to pull focus from the conversation, 
has actually led to uh, a more inclusive conversation among the queer community, uh, a movement towards all Black Lives Matter uh, to make sure that we don't uh, suffer the erasure of our Black trans brothers and sisters. Um, and I, if you do anything this month, it's fun to wear glitter. It's fun to celebrate. But if you do anything this month, remember Marsha P. Johnson and donate money and get in the streets on her behalf. You don't have to, you don't have to get in the streets if you're worried about COVID. I have immune issues, whatever. Take some bottles of water, Google where like they're accepting donations for protesters and at least support the protesters who can go into the streets. Yeah, there's Do lots, the there's lots of, there's lots of lanes in this. You can occupy one and just keep going. It's fine. Yeah. And you can change yeah. lanes. You can change lanes. Maybe yeah, you can change lanes. Maybe do, do what works for you. Maybe look at just, a, like I don't know my, my city, your city too. Probably most cities yeah. have multiple protests going on every day. Every day. Every which day. Is, which is which is guys. This is a magical time. Huge. Go to the one that's that, less popular. That, like, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. This like, is this is the easiest time you've ever had to to do the right thing. To quote uh, Andrew Crawford, uh, but and also Spike Lee. Um, but yes, seriously, indeed. it's never been easier to do the right thing. Yeah. And and we're asking you to do it now. And also remember Marsha P. Johnson. May she have a legacy this June and and every day moving forward for being someone who delivered, who 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 lit the spark that delivered queer people from the level of oppression we were suffering at that time. There are people who are still suffering in our community, especially our black trans brothers and sisters. Let's keep fighting. Yeah. We don't Mary, have anything we else? Don't, we don't have much else of a choice. I will, I have a call to arms. I know this Please is coming. Do. I know this is coming and I would recommend everyone think about how they're going to respond to this. I'm still in the process of thinking about how I want to respond to this. But what will happen is... That because our nation has completely mishandled uh, the coronavirus pandemic, um, what will happen is we will continue to spike. And eventually what they're going to do is they're going to say it's all those protesters. They're the ones. They're the ones that are causing the pain. And think. Yes, about- it's it's definitely not the jackasses uh, deciding not. that it's time to hang out uh, at the beach and like go to restaurants. No. And guys, if you're doing that, can you just be careful? No, if you're doing that, stop it, you jerks. Yeah, stop it. Fair. Stop it. Stop it. Like, stop like it. the government, we are on our own, guys. It's over, man. No one's coming to save us. No one is coming to save us. Just like the Supreme Court deciding that they were going to uphold human rights for once. <laughs> like, that's not a win. That's yeah, not a win. They're they're not coming that's, to save that's us. That's table stakes. Nobody's coming to they're save us. They're not going to save us. You have to save yourself. And more importantly, you have to save your neighbors and your community. That's the only thing. And the only tool we have are pretty small. But maintain your distance. Social distancing. Wear your masks. Wash your face. Wash your hands. Do all do all that stuff. Just just wash your body. Wash you know? your body. Just, take a full silkwood shower as soon as you step in the house. <laughs> do what you need to do. Let your mail sit in your garage for two weeks. Whatever needs to happen. But like, get your system in place and then keep it in place because this is not going away. And may I point out that this is a social justice issue. If you are a black person in America. If when a white person tells you that we're all in this together, you have every right to tell them to shove it. Because even though black people only make up 13% of the U.S. population, 
a quarter of our country's COVID deaths are black people. So just think about that. Just think about that. And why is that happening? Because we have our because systemic oppression, our economy, racism, and our our healthcare system are rampant with systemic racism. So when people say stuff like old people should be willing to die for the economy, what they're really saying is old black people should be willing to die for the economy. Yes. And they're saying it because it's already happening. So It's already happening. So think about what you're going to say when, when and if you are faced with people being like, well, that's just so irresponsible that they're out in the streets and they're catching COVID. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I'm going to say, but it's going to be something along the lines of think racism is way more deadly than COVID and COVID is still pretty deadly. So imagine, imagine what that does. I, <laughs> this is a perfect moment for me to do something that I I, I want to do and I'm hesitant to do because she, I'm sure, doesn't want me to do it. But <clears throat> first, I want to I want to shout out uh, sometimes guest host and co-host of our quarantine Westworld series, Megan Whitney, uh, who, along with four women of color, no, five women of color in her program, uh, started a um, white coats for black lives protest in Dallas. It got picked up by the news um, who then got death threats, which is, you know, uh, this that's it's proof you're doing something. You know, when uh, when it gets uncomfortable, you're doing the right thing. Uh, but that same day was when uh, a bunch of healthcare workers across the country cited that systemic racism is a public health crisis. So that's what I would say. It's building on, it's yes ending what you said. Systemic racism is a public health crisis that has to be stopped. And like Roxane Gay said in her article on the New York Times, no one's coming to save us. There will be a vaccine one day for COVID and there's not one for systemic racism. There's never been anything more important to fight for than this. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Also, you might point out that if if this person you know recently um, went to a bar, you can throw that right back in their big stupid faces. That's my plan also. <laughs> no, I'm 100%. You'd be like, did like, you recently get a haircut? Well, guess you, guess you live in a glass house, don't you? Yeah. Um, so we're not here to shame white people who are trying to uh, become anti-racist and learn more about the movement. Like, you know, we all remember when we, when we started our journeys. Uh, for me, it was... Moving to Atlanta and coming to college, uh, I am here to shame white people who aren't doing the work and are also going out and, like, furthering a global pandemic. <laughs> like, guys, I'm going to shame the shit out of you and happily with a smile in my face and a song in my heart. Man, that's like a real bir- two birds with one stone situation. Like, if I... It if, really is. If running into a person like that, I would, like, crack my knuckles and be like, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let me let uh, me get out some of this pent up feeling. Oh, you know? you're, you're you're irresponsible uh, from a public health perspective, and you're a racist. Well, here we go. But you know, before we engage in in, in our in our tonal shift of the week, which is I think going to be a recurring theme in our episodes, huzzah! Um, I just want to say, hey, uh, <clears throat> I mentioned Rashard Brooks. I mentioned uh, the Wendy's parking lot. I mentioned getting shot uh, more than once in the back by uh, APD. That Wendy's burned down. Some people are speaking out about how, like, burning buildings is not the answer. And all I have to say is, murdering black people is not the answer. Uh, it's it's a shame some burnings have to, some buildings are have to burn. Like, that's, 
that's my take. I, I kept engaging a fellow white people in this conversation on Sunday just because I wanted to be like, I couldn't help myself but be like, hey, so like, you get that the, the Wendy's burning down. Is, that's that's legit, right? Like, that you know, that's fine. And they're like, I mean, build, burning buildings isn't like great. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's it's better than black people getting killed in the streets. They're like, yeah, no one's no one's saying that, Kate. That was that was my Sunday, by the way. I so. don't know the. I don't know. No, I. <laughs> it's it's important to say that. I think that if you are um, shedding tears over a frosty before you're shedding tears over a body, you need to really check yourself because you might be a sociopath. Um, yeah. No. Um. If you care more about the destruction of property, I'm using strong air quotes. Uh. Than you do about uh the murder of black people at the hands of our cops. We're at a fucking impasse. Period. Yeah. yeah. You and I, personally. You know? Just, anyway. Ah! Mary, you ready for, for some total shifting? Let's talk <laughs> about a super white movie! Okay. Well, that was, that was a, there's just a lot, and we have lots of work to do, but let's, this next ep- this episode, full disclosure, Nothing to do with any of that stuff and super fluffy. So now for something completely different. Let's talk about Legally Blonde. We're doing Legally Blonde as a part of our two movie uh, focus for graduation in honor of everyone who didn't get to celebrate their graduation because of COVID-19. So special shout out to the people who went to the protests in their graduation gear, too. That was awesome. Hell yeah, guys. We see you and we stand you. Yep. (laughs) Pretty much. Good for you, kids. Cool. Yeah, seriously. Really grateful that uh, Gen Z is fucking lovely. Um, yep. Yep. <clears throat> Let's see what fascist group they bring back. We brought back Nazis. <laughs> um, did, did Yeah, we did. We, we did. Oh, God, we did. We, we are responsible. God damn it. Mm. <laughs> yes, it's bad. All right. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> So, this this is a weird moment in time. But you know what also was a really weird moment in time? The early Audis, but in a completely opposite way, in many yeah. wa- senses of the word. Yeah. Um, we're talking about a movie today, Legally Blonde, that I distinctly remember seeing in theaters 19 years ago. That's crazy. I remember seeing in theaters for sure. I remember that this was obviously not the first CD I had, but like one of like the first 11 or 15 CDs I had. Uh, oh, the, the like the soundtrack? Me yes. too. Yep. Um, and I remember very clearly uh, watching this movie at your house. Um, I think I was in college and we were home for break and talking about how we would watch it again when I got into law school because that was back when I really wanted to go to law school. That's and probably back, back when I was pre-med Spade. too. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> That was, and then I and then I listened to the activist Dean Spade, who was like, "Hey, going to law school means that like they try and indoctrinate indoctrinate you into some really conservative systems of thinking, and uh, there are lots of ways to help people that don't involve a law degree." And that was my past to not go to law school. I got handed to me. Thank you, Dean Spade. Anyway, also I, the recession. I, I, I just <laughs> yeah, I just uh, it turns out I really would much rather be an English major. So. That's what happened to me. Um, I mean, I, I was I was going to go to law school with an English degree. That that was that was yeah. that was the only thing. Because Tur- turns turns there's out not that's like a, a thing. pre-law. But I mean, there might be. But so 
I remember really enjoying this movie far more. So, like, how old was I when this came out? Like, so 19 we years ago, like 12, yeah. 13. Um, I remember liking this movie. I remember liking this movie way more than I expected to. And I will say on rewatch, same. Yeah. <laughs> same. I, yes. You know, something I realized while I was prepping for this podcast, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, is that I feel like one of the things that makes this movie so good is it like it traffics in camp? Like yeah. it does like a like a Hollywood accessible like big budget version. But in lots of places it traffics in camp. And that's yep. like part of what makes this movie delightful, you know? Yep, for sure. For sure. All right, let me tell anyone who has never turned on TBS in their life what this movie is about. <laughs> Can't imagine yeah, there's a soul alive who's not seen this movie. But yeah. here we go. Um Elle Woods uh, is expecting an engagement ring from her college boyfriend, but instead is unceremoniously dumped for not fitting his vision of what an elite waspy senator's wife should be. Down but not out, Elle hatches a scheme to follow him to law school to prove that she's the woman he wants her to be. However, she soon learns that the secret to success is not changing who she is, but fully becoming the person she has always been. You had the ruby slippers on your feet the whole time, Al. Uh, yeah. and, and in some cases in this movie, literally. Um, yeah. So <laughs> this was so this movie. Um, when I when I was watching it, I was like, "Hello, the the Audis. Hello, it's very <laughs> Audis. The fashion it's is very Audis. Everything yeah. about it, the way it's shot." Uh, and which yes. is sort of surprising to me because I thought, you know, so this is, comes out in 2001. I thought yes. we would have, you know how like a lot of movies that are like early on have sort of a little bit of a hangover from the previous decade? The 90s? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, this is not like that at all. I wonder if that was part of its appeal, that it was so yeah, I think, I think it fresh helped to define uh, a decade of, of cinema, um, yeah. just in terms of stylistically and like what a Hollywood movie could look like and be. Um, yeah. And going back to your campy point, I feel like the the most camp it does is the spaces. They're all extreme. Yes. Like California yes. is like one big McMansion full of... Um, like ev- everything... Her... her, her, her uh, video uh, admissions essay to, law, to Harvard Law um, is... Like, but also, like, when she goes, Paulette's, uh, I think that's what's fun is Paulette's nail salon is, like, her little window of it's, camp. It's an embassy. It's like, well, yes, yes. Although Harvard is also, the way they position Harvard, like, it's like, so California is, like, McMansions, swimming pools, sparkly bikinis. That's what, yeah. like, women, women with, like, you know, um with poor strips on uh doing do like doing low weights like that's what that is and then harvard it's like perma autumn like it's like the most extreme it's funny because when she talks about like the social calendar and like trips like clam bakes and trips to the cape like maybe they don't have that on a social calendar here in this in this movie version of harvard i but fucking it's... don't believe that there's a social calendar uh, at Harvard Law, just like there is for like med school. You, you might not, you might not have it in orientation, but but just those examples. That is the world in which these people live. We in, also is like the the clam bakes trips to the Cape. It's you know, like, very difficult vibe. for me to go back in time to a point where 
I was still highly impressed by Ivy League education. I, we've just, we have <laughs> yeah, just, for sure. we have just progressed further. I'm sure that when you watched it and all these people are being like, oh, I'm so horribly important for being here. I'm sure that you agreed with them at the time. And you're yeah. like, of course they're not doing clam bakes to the cape. And then, but of, of course they are. Like, well, of course, of course they are. That, yeah, it's, it's yeah. hilarious because it's hilarious in its audacity to pretend that, uh, that Harvard would be a place that, that didn't have that. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I think it's really um, so the music also is very you mentioned having the soundtrack at the top. I also had the soundtrack. I used the soundtrack actually as my study playlist while studying for the SATs, which I took in like eighth grade. So I could go to an earth camp. Um, I I distinctly remember that (laughs) very vividly. Um, But it's also like it's like pure like bubblegummy empowerment light sort of songs. It's like, it's, it's girl power. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's girl not, power, kind of like grown not up. Not right girl, but girl, yeah, I mean, girl power grown up. It's yeah. like, it's, it's like more s- than, it's more than uh Spice Girls girl power. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not much. <laughs> like, not much. teenager ish of girl power. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Girl power is a little long in the tooth. Yeah. It's funny because like, as much as like, I want to like, you know, like, poo-poo things like the spice girls maybe that's part of why i became a feminist i don't know like all I, of this I stuff did is important love that shit yeah all that shit's important I, I mean you know i remember one of my brothers was like when i told him about it <laughs> was like word and then my other brother was like oh he was making fun of you <laughs> i was like i don't think he was and i i still don't think he was um, i don't care who you are if you say that you don't like the spice girls you're a liar <laughs> i don't believe like, you they're well, too. They're too ridiculous and wacky. They're too ridiculous to not enjoy at all. Yeah, like, like there's so many, know. so many hooks for you to enjoy them and just think that they're I'm, absurd and like enjoyable. Like there's just no way. I mean, that's like being like memory. that's like being like I don't like sunny days. Like come on. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't like a cool breeze on a hot day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, before, instead of going down a nostalgia trap, uh, that I was about to engage in about Spice Girls. <laughs> yeah. Let me just reorient myself. All right, so I feel like I already touched on, uh, my first impression, which was getting to, getting to watch it with you. I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember that? Do you remember saying that we would watch it if, when I got into law yeah. school? Yeah, yeah, I do remember this. Yep. Uh, I feel like I listened to our Booksmart episode, it's a lot of me feeling, and I am grateful because Mary's my best friend, and you yeah. did a lot of, like, and my best friends are all like people who agree with <laughs> and all I'm saying is <laughs> I'm still over here standing for this friendship. <laughs> oh my gosh, what? How are, how did we end up here? You are my best friend and I love you so much. Even if you don't disagree even if you disagree with me, which is rare. Um, which is very rare. Yeah, very no, rare. and obviously I'm not putting this a podcast. I'm just like, I'm just laughing because me being like, come on, you remember, right? You remember? No, I do remember. That's what I feel like. That um, I was too. a little yeah. distracted because I was looking at the actual things that are on the soundtrack. And I, I, after being like, this is surprisingly, surprisingly a nineties. I was like, wait a minute. It's just like weirdly nineties because I noticed that the, the soundtrack, soundtrack is the soundtrack. The soundtrack is. Well, but in some ways, so the soundtrack involves Haiku, ho, uh, Hoku, her Hoku, Hoku involves Hoku, who could not have been more relevant at the time for singing a song 
about um, running into a girl who's eating a burrito, if you recall that song. Um, mm-hmm. Perfect day, yeah. Well, per- no, so that perfect day is that, and then she's like, I can't remember the burrito song, but I distinctly remember eating a burrito with a girl, some brunette at Del Roscoe's. Anyway, um, then you smile and you knew that someday we'll be together, and together we were for a while. How does it feel? That's the song. Ever since you walked away from me. Anyway, so that was like getting serious. Like that was like super teeny bopper, like cutting edge. But then also a little bit later on, we have Lisa Loeb. So I guess the '90s is a little bit of the ghost in the machine behind all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, and then Black Eyed Peas. That's like even before they were kind of a big deal. Wow. That was before they were a big deal. Um, I also I just remember um, One Girl Revolution by Super Chick was like my song that year yep <laughs> yep yep i always skipped over uh, vanessa carlton too because mm. anyway yeah, no for sure <laughs> um but so we've talked about the spaces we've talked about the sounds uh the costumes in this we have to talk about what's funny is looking at this from the time we are now what it looks like is um so post-quarantine, I maybe have spent more time on TikTok than I had before. And there are these <laughs> weird, weird, like, humble... Well, and I did initially because Gen Z's on there, and they and they do some pretty dope shit. Um, they're really funny. Are you and just trying to connect like, with the youths? I, I'm trying to figure out where the youths are. Hello, um, fellow kids. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's it started because my nephew uh, has a couple TikTok videos that, like, he shared with my friend, Quinn, and I. But there are these videos that people do that are clearly, like, humble brags about their lives. Like, they're, like, slowly showing you my bedroom as I make my bed or slowly showing you, like, me, like, adding sugar to my coffee. And, like, the opening sequence, like, every time it shoots, anytime it is not literally a girl taking around a card to get people sign looks like a tiktok humble brag video is all i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) um that intro also has the hilarious thing which i was like absolutely not which is to imply that Elle gets her hair dyed from a box dyes her own hair oh my god absolutely Absolutely not not. i see your product placement and i tell you that is unfeasible Mm -mm. okay Nope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. But you know. As, as someone who dyes my hair blonde now. <laughs> there you go. You Even now, even in quarantine, even when I haven't had my hair dyed blonde, and I like I still want to be blonde and plan on dyeing it whenever I get to again, even someone who hasn't had my hair dyed in almost a year, um, I'm still not going to a box because you can really mess up blonde hair. That's all I'm going to say. All right? All right. Yep. So, yeah, ridiculous. But you know who wasn't too... So, of course, Elle is, like, the epitome of privilege, obviously. That's, like, baked into this plot. That's that's also the point, yeah. Which is part of the point. But you know who is not... Who still at this point um, needed to, to scrap to get by? Reese Witherspoon, who, as part of her contract, was like, I get to keep all my clothes and she did that's awesome yeah that's so awesome i had no idea i love that i also think it's funny that like she was like i want to do this and i want to keep all those clothes because those clothes are wild (laughs) also like because i'm imagining the outfit she's wearing in the dress shop when she's trying to pick out her uh her outfit for the date where she thinks warner's gonna propose to her Mm -hmm. and she's wearing that teal sequence dress and i'm like reese witherspoon where did you wear that that's I what would i want to know i would love no to I, know. I say this to someone 
who had sequined clothing. All right, I lived in the Audis. All right, I'm not. I'm not ashamed of it. Still have sequined clothes. I mean, I have it in my closet. I haven't. I haven't necessarily pulled it out in a while. But also, my body has changed since then. But the bottom line is that sequined steel dress is fucking amazing. (laughs) It Um, is. It is awesome. It is awesome. I would wear that to this yeah. day. It is yeah. amazing. And all of her sequin bikinis as well. Although every time I look at them. Oh my God. I'm like, I love those big, those like big, like mega sequins. Yeah. You know, like. Those must have been yeah, so almost uncomfortable. Like yep. But, oh my God. So uncomfortable. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I do. So I feel like the costume and the styling of this movie is telling us, t- tells us in the clearest, most stark ways, leaves no ambiguity that L is a fish out of water. Like, so, especially once she gets to Harvard. So I love her attempts. You get the sense that she's attempting to blend in as a serious law student, but the way she does it is, like, wearing... Yes, but she's still doing it in this beautiful ca- like i love that i love that sweater she wears on the first day of school because honestly that oh, her like, velvet pretty, like, smoking jacket it's you mean? incredibly tame yes but it's amazing yeah that outfit's fucking amazing and honestly does a good job of trying to blend her style but like many other times she she's like like when they're sitting on the quad talking about like their background and introducing themselves to their like you know orientation group and she's wearing like a pink beret and like a striped shirt with pink pants like you know that's that's not that's her version of blending in it's just not blending in you know the best my favorite scene actually of that is the scene right after um Elle and uh her classmates some of her classmates have been accepted uh to I'm looking up his name. Hold on, uh, Professor Callahan's uh, internship, internship program, and she comes yeah. in, and you get a scene where she and Vivian sort of meet in this hallway, and you see them both in profile, and you have the that contrast between like Elle's bag, which has like a big scarf on it, and her heels are super high, and she's wearing this like outrageous blouse that has this voluminous frilly cravat situation kind of coming out of her like well-cut like a little bit flippy skirt black suit and then you have like viv's like plain briefcase and her low block heels and her like simple like kind of almost almost nearing dowdy suit like i was gonna say like nearly like matronly yeah it's it's genius it's like such a great it's such a great like like this and that kind of thing but I also yeah. like that it takes it a step further. So Elle, when she is trying to blend, is bending herself, right? She's she's doing it in a way that's like she's hilarious. To fit. Yeah, it's hilarious yeah. and it's like it's like but, misguided. But she is trying to like refit yeah. herself, even if she's not successful at it. Even if she still is a fish out of water, she is that is her making an effort. Right. And that's her being uncomfortable in like in the fact that she like that's not her at her most comfortable because no. it is not her, like, it's her cosplaying a serious version of herself. Right. But then we have her moment of glory when she wins her first case. She's absolutely dressed as herself. She wears her pink wrap dress. She's wearing a bejeweled sandal. Yes. Um, And she, her, hair, her hair, like, she does more, like, straightening and things like that when she is uh, trying to be serious. But she does, like, the full... It's down and curly. Farrah yeah. Fawcett... Um, waves, yes. Breck girl waves, uh, but by way of uh, the early oddies. And that is where she becomes the best lawyer she possibly can be. So I think it, it takes you on a on a visual journey of seeing her attempting to, to fit herself to the mold and then realizing she can't, even if 
even if she didn't completely give up herself and dress like Vivian. Yeah. That that's not no, but, enough. But, but the clothing serves as like the mise-en-scene of like her her internal journey. We see her internal journey externalized through her costuming, which is quite brilliant, frankly. Of course, our main character is Elle. She's the hero of our story. And the way that she gets herself into um, this situation is that basically every human being in this movie who is not explicitly one of her friends thinks that she dismisses her as a vapid, silly person who can't, who cannot do the things that she set out to do. I feel like her friends less so than her parents, but I think yeah, her, her friends, friends don't, don't understand why she would want to. Right. Her friends, I think, don't understand, but they support her. But like everybody else, yes. it's like her friends and, and then Paulette, who is one of her, I count as one of her friends. So it's like Margot, what's yeah. her? Paulette, who immediately becomes like one of like her closest friends. But yeah, like, yeah. What, what are their names? <laughs> Uh, Margot, Serena, and Paulette are, like, the only people who, who at all take her Serena. seriously. Yes. Um, up until that point, everyone basically, including her own parents, as you said, uh, basically are like, no, like, that's not who you are. Law school's for people who are boring, dull, and serious. And you, Button, are none of those things. I say from memory without it being in my notes because I've seen this movie a million times. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, there is, like, one thing that I think is sort of strange. I think that there is, like, potential for it to be, like, well, Elle's not, like, other girls. And that is that she's always uh-huh. shown as being really smart. Like, that scene in the dress shop where the uh, store clerk is, like, oh, dumb blonde with daddy's plastic and, like, tries to, like, sell her last season's dress. But she's, like, no, I am a fashion major. I know what's going on. And, like, takes her yeah. down. yeah, yeah. But so I think like the I don't know on rewatch I remember that scene I remember being like I don't know if I'm gonna like this as much because maybe it's like showing her as being like above her company like she's always meant to do something higher, but um, I prefer to think that what it's saying is that applied knowledge and logic is important wherever you are. So like even if Harvard doesn't yes. consider encyclopedic recall of textile types as an important thing, it does require the same level of intellect as encyclopedic uh, recall of law, the law. I, I love that read. Right? And that's a very generous read, and it's the read that I also gave this, but, like, I I love the way you, um, love the way that you stated that, because that's, yeah, that's exactly it. It's about how there might be different kinds of intelligence and skill sets. I love the read that, like, there are lots of L's in the world. She just happens to be someone who got motivated externally to go to Harvard Law because she wanted to be taken seriously and thought that going to law school was the only way that the man in her life would. Yeah. Luckily, we kind of eschew that plot pretty early on, though. Yeah, it almost becomes like a non-entity. And I I don't think that's necessarily a mark against it because I think it is, it feels, uh, it feels like one of those things where you're like, I'm just suspending disbelief. It's okay. Like, and and the fact that she... does basically gets a perfect LSAT is pretty you can't like oh my god a 179 ah no I mean that's like that's like 50 points off a perfect score right yeah that no that a 180 is a perfect score oh 180 so it's even less than yeah <laughs> like yeah. yeah it's a one point margin crazy um, um yeah I mean like that's you can't you can't but, argue but that's with that. great at showing that like even if nobody like if everyone's underestimating her like it doesn't matter what it is that you're studying or what your interests are it doesn't mean you're less intelligent Yep. And I think that's good. That's important. 
yeah Elle's impetus to go to law school is Warner uh, we've talked about how she thought that he was going to propose to her I'm just giving you all a basic you know blow by blow uh, review in case you saw this movie years ago she thought that he was going to propose to her Warner's uh, pardon my French a douchebag uh, Warner is such a satisfying smug villain oh I I, for- yes. I had underestimated how satisfied I was going to be to see a man like that portrayed as a villain. And I was yes. so pleased. And also, I don't think at the time I understood how exciting it was that he was a villain. Like, I don't think I yes. knew until I became an adult and like witnessed the way adult men are treated in the world firsthand that I could understand. I was just like, well, of course, he's like the bad boyfriend. So like he's the bad guy in the rom-com. That's pretty classic. Yeah, the bad boyfriend uses this uses the same nickname for every girlfriend like they're little things but like totally no No, but he's so much more underestimates her from the beginning takes her out to a fancy dinner and starts off the conversation where he's breaking up with her by being like i think we need to talk l Pooh bear i think we need to break up like you're baby talking your way into a like having once been um having once been dumped when i didn't expect it at all um when I, you know, I thought things were going in a different direction. That shit sucks. Communicate with your partner. You know, that's all I'm going to say uh, well, about and he's, my personal he, life. He's but. also just like the prototypical unremarkable man. Like, who's like just failing yes. up and has his whole life. Like, you find out later that he's not... He, he he didn't get in right away. His dad had to make a call. He got waitlisted and his dad had to make a call. And when she shows up, he's like, what are you doing here? Harvard Law School? How yeah. did you even get here? It's like, what? You could get in here? And she got in without being waitlisted, asshole. Because she's way better than you ever gave her credit for. And that that's the most empowering thing about this movie is that it, it, there is a woman who everybody tells her she cannot succeed and it doesn't matter what the initial impetus is, that that motivation fades real fast. Uh, she goes out there and she gives it her all and is successful and successful as a kind person who wants to do good in the world. Yeah. Well, and right. So, like, he's the first, like, great thing, which his he represents male privilege. Right. And yep. that he is one of the ma- there are two villains in this movie and he's one of them. And that's great. And then. Yeah. And the other one represents rape culture. So that's an equally really good villain. It's, a, it's for a amazing. Movie. It's amazing that in the early odds, you know, like this was 2001. We had uh, a movie that like blew a whistle on rape culture. And that was with yeah. Professor Callahan, uh, who I think might as well mention him now since you brought him up. Uh, the, the law professor who. It's clearly impressed by her, but impressed by her in a way that, like, it's something Mary once told me when I, uh, when I expressed concern because I had a boss that was sexually harassing me. And I was like, you know, am I even, like, good enough to be here? Like, he, he thinks I'm talented, but, like, does he actually think I'm talented? And what Mary said to me was that, um, of, of course he does. Money's at stake. Uh, people don't hire you if you're not talented. He just also wants to use you and that's exactly the dynamic that we see in this movie Elle's clearly talented he just also wants her to um submit to his will because he is a small gross man 
And he probably is a, is threatened by her talent, yes. actually, which is also part of why he feels it's necessary to establish himself and assert himself as a man as and a be dominant like, person. yeah, and be like, well, you have to submit to me sexually because I have pa- you're I'm big and you're small. Like I'm that's, right and you're wrong. Yeah. Yep. That's how it goes. Like so, pretty pretty crazy. And the fact that they also fold in sort of like believe victims. Don't don't like with Vivian where she immediately takes Callahan's side or not and, necessarily and that even feels that, but it's terrible is, when she realizes it, you know? Yeah, but then is but then is corrected and then makes good on it, obviously. Although we don't necessarily get to see exactly I, how it I plays would be out, wonderful if okay. we got to see more of that just that's because okay. like you know, but but, that's okay. but yes, it's fine. It's not the main it's, it's not, not the, the main, main thing, but it's nice that it's there. It's nice that it's there. It's nice that like the movie ends with literally they've become best friends. I love that. I do. Genuinely do. Yeah. I like that this movie is very kind to basically all the women in the story. Yeah. I, I, you know, I want to talk about Vivian and I got, I got lots to say about that. But first I want to talk about Paulette. Yeah, let's talk about Paulette. I think, um, I think what Paulette represents, Paulette makes an unlikely duo with Elle. But it does a good job of showing that Elle isn't just a superficial rich girl. Like that she is able to not only, like, identify with, but develop, like, an intimate and important relationship with a woman who is not in her class, a woman who does not have her background, and sees and values her, and is kind to her, and is there for her as a friend, makes Elle a character worth liking. Yeah. It's, uh, it's sort of, it, I mean, it, like, borrows on that sort of that Emma thing, too, where yeah. Emma, when you realize that Emma really just wants to be friends with her friend because she thinks she's kind of better than her and she's kind of like a toy, and that that's actually making Emma quite unhappy, and that's something she has to fix in the story. Like, if that was what was going on here, we would not like Elle. That is an uh, that is a despicable Absolutely. thing to it's do to someone. Absolutely, it's not sociopathic. It's not. It's not using someone. It is genuinely. This was the first person I saw like post finding out that my ex boyfriend who I. I got into Harvard Law to try to win back over because I am I can be serious like 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 what he wants. I don't have to just be a Marilyn instead of a Jackie. Fuck Warner. Um, just one more time. <laughs> just fuck that guy. Uh, if, if he thinks he deserves either of those, women, oh my he's god! If also like if he thinks that like Marilyn's not good enough. Oh, just ever everything about that. Um, mm-hmm. and the first woman that she sees is someone who like immediately. Like, through dialogue, is clear that they are not in the same, like, uh, social class. Which I think, like, well, is I mean, we like, don't see and clearly... talk about a lot in movies. Well, Elle's, Elle's incredibly rich. Elle's clearly but rich. We, but and we talk Paulette about is a Paulette's trailer. Like, yeah. and I, I think that yeah. is powerful because we still have a hard time talking about class. This is 2001. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think I think that we're also supposed to kind of understand that um, that Paula, Paulette is probably the only working class person we really get to know in this 100%. story. 100%. Yeah. And I think we're supposed to understand that a lesser human 
uh, like potentially like a stage one Vivian. Yes. Might like Paulette, might go get her nails done at Paulette's salon and like hang out with her secretly. But she wouldn't let other people know she was doing that because it's it's subversive and it would be looked down upon for her snooty classmates. But yeah. Elle doesn't do that because Elle does not care. Elle, <laughs> like, Elle loves Paulette. Elle is like that. Yeah, is, they're we friends. We see them celebrating so, their Christmas together. Like that is that is her friend. Like, yeah, and Paulette comes to her graduation. She doesn't care. Like no. she's an important person Paulette in her comes life. To her and that's trial fine. where she gets to be, the, yeah. you know, like the lead defense attorney. Like. So do so do Marco and Serena for that matter, which like I thought was a beautiful fucking moment where you see these two women that the movie lets you. It's a campy movie, so I'm gonna call it. I mean, camp they're, they're and comic, not like they're comic relief. I don't they're think comic they're relief, just like for sure. I don't think they're just dumb, but they are supposed to be like the like comic campy, like you know whatever, like fringe characters. It's still kind to them though, but it's like still I kind still to want them. them to. They're still like get everything they they're want. They're good friends. In life. I love them coming yeah. in when like every when. <laughs> To be to be fair, uh, the judge, you know, makes a joke about Elle, keeps on asking kind of the same question of the woman she's cross-examining, uh, the uh, daughter of the man who was killed. And who is Linda Cardellini before any of us I realized how know. incredible that was. Ah! Anyway, um, yeah, totally. And, and everybody, like, the judge is like, I think we've established that she was in the shower. And I just love Serena and Marco making this face like, oh, yeah, laugh it up, guys, assholes. Yeah, and everyone laughs, and they're, and they're, and like, they're like, oh, don't laugh at our friend. At it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love that kind of loyalty and kindness. It's great. Yeah. It's perfect. Well, and I think Paulette also, you know, Paulette helps also drive home the idea that this is sort of, that this is a coastal story. That yeah. there's the West Coast and they have their ways and there's the East Coast that have their ways and they are different. But ultimately, you can be who you want to be no matter where you live. And that potentially being a fish out of water um, and getting out of your comfort zone to figure is like a very helpful way of figuring out who you really want to be in life. So I think she also represents that. Like, she kind of helps ground Elle and makes her, like, realize, like, it's okay to want a manicure. I can be a serious person and have a nice manicure. Like, that's not a that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and you get that beautiful crossover with uh, her good professor um, played by the in, in just incredible Holland Taylor. Yes. Um, oh, professor my God. Stromwell. Queer queen. All right. Like... Yeah. We're, we'll we'll talk a little bit about representation later, and mm, there's a lesbian yeah. in this movie, yeah. and but like it's like very much like the like angry lesbian, you know. But like Holland Taylor, I don't care if they textually confirm she's a lesbian. I'm just I'm calling it all right. Like in my head uh, canon, Holland Taylor, like in real life, is a queer queen. Anyway, also uh, wrote and starred in a one woman play about Anne Richards, so she played Anne Richards, which makes so much sense in my mind. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, Just great. But, like, I think that we're supposed to see that, like, you know, she's obviously at Paulette's salon getting her hair done. So, like, she's a serious, she's, like, the prototypical serious woman, right? Yes. She's a professor. So the first woman she... who kicks Elle out of her class for not being prepared. Yep. When Elle has yep. the clueless-esque, you know, fluffy pen that she's using uh, to write in a, the tiniest, Teeny tiniest notebook to take notes. 
Um, maybe the most unbelievable thing, just because, like, I mean, I guess that this was before the ubiquitousness of computers. But I mean, if she oh yeah, was doing... this is two thousand and one. That probably was pretty crazy to see. Yeah, like but... that was so serious that they would have computers. In class. To- totally, but like she also like had done so well in other classes. So maybe she's just really good at those tiny notebooks. I don't know because my note taking took much more space than that. That's all, you know whatever. But I have ADD. So I think she things. could have made it through law school if she just with, used the with, tiny notebooks. But she. Yeah. But she, but she, you know, she got decided to get serious and uh, get a get a yellow and orange MacBook. I'll show you how valuable um, Elwoods can be. Anyway, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. What else do you have for relations? I I have Vivian. This is this is where I have the. Point. Yeah, we should talk, we should mm-hmm. talk about Vivian. Yeah. Okay. So, do you mind if I if I get started just to go? Yes, please. Okay, so the the last relationship that I really want to talk about is Ellen Vivian's, um, and it starts with these two women who are pitted each, against each other uh, for the affection of a man. And this always makes me think of an author that I found in college that helped uh, me uh, really uh, put words to um, internal feelings in terms of queerness and feminism, etc. Unfortunately, this person wrote at a time when um, second wave feminists thought that trans people were trying were like men in cheap's clothing trying to steal their movement so gross um so i say that all to say death of the author um i'm gonna read a poem by audrey and rich this poem is called translations you show me the poems of some woman my age or younger translated from your language certain words occur enemy oven sorrow enough to let me know she's a woman of my time obsessed with love our subject We've trained it like ivy on our walls, baked it like bread in our ovens, worn it like lead on our ankles, watched it through binoculars as if it were a helicopter bringing food to our famine or the satellite of a hostile power. I begin to see that woman doing things, stirring rice, ironing a skirt, typing a manuscript till dawn, trying to make a phone call from a phone book. The phone rings unanswered in a man's bedroom. She hears him telling someone else, Never mind, she'll get tired. Here's him telling her story to her sister, who becomes her enemy and will in her own time light her own way to sorrow. Ignorant of the fact that this way of grief is shared, unnecessary, and political. I want to share that poem because I think that that speaks to this dynamic, this way in which women are told that love and and the companion of a man, we are socialized to believe that that is the most important thing. That uh, that is where we should be in competition with other women, not for better grades uh, at law school, but for the affection of a truly douchey and unimpressive dude. And and that is where their relationship starts. And it's wonderful to see that, like, even though it starts with some animosity, it starts with Vivian not being very nice, but Ella also being there to, like, you know, take away what is Vivian's blah 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 gross Warner sucks um but but that that fighting is shared unnecessary and political and a part of a system and and that we see two women be in a room surrounded by mostly men uh when they get their law internship and see a kinship in one another as two women working hard trying to contribute positively and build something for themselves and that's what their friendship becomes founded on. And that's where the turning point comes. And even though Vivian 
is quick to believe the worst of Elle when she sees uh, Callahan uh, feeling her up. There wasn't a lot of dialogue about uh, believing victims, and that was also a societally uh, enforced implicit bias. And we get to see Vivian immediately feeling like shit about it and know that they can become friends later. Best friends. And I think that's a really powerful arc. I think it would look different today, but I love that it speaks to the shared unnecessary and political grief that women can have over the affections of a man that, again, unnecessary. Mary, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, of course, I love that Vivian is redeemed at the end and that she and and we're told via the Chiron that she and Elle are best friends. And I think that's very sweet. And especially since, like, she so easily could have fallen into being the, like, bitch girlfriend um, stereotype where she's just kind of, like, shuttled off. Leaves room for yeah for growth and 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 also like accepts that like potentially vivian although i think it doesn't like almost like with like in like the softest way it could it accepts that like vivian might actually have some beef with l like that like l did explicitly come to harvard to win her boyfriend back and she is her current girlfriend and she should be a little bit upset about that and that's okay she's the current beyonce yeah i I feel like there's yeah. I think if there's a flaw in this movie it's that we don't we we get we get told that Vivian redeems herself but we don't see it and I would su- I suggest that there's actually like a really good way they could fix it and I wish that they had which is that Vivian is constantly also sexually harassed and singled out by Callahan she's always getting him his coffee or his plum sauce or like he treats her like she's a secretary and she talks about that yes. She talks yeah. about how that's not right um, with Elle. And, and Elle, honestly, is the one who hand waves it at that point because Elle doesn't have the dialogue or the language Correct. for understanding what systemic oppression is. She's like, well, you know, men are helpless. And that is what we are told to justify shitty yep. behavior. Every yep. man needs a woman to become a better person. And I remember challenging my, my father on that the first time because I was like, I mean, obviously, though, I don't want to be with a man. So that's that that can't be it. And, and and he was immediately like, oh, okay. And I fucking love my dad um, for always listening and having an open heart. But, you know. The best. That that was the dialogue. Yeah. Right. So um, this could be fixed. So we know that Elle does not actually have, as opposed to most everything else in the movie where she's pretty right about everything else, she's not right about this. Her her perception of what men are and the way men should be, we know from the jump is flawed because she thought she wanted to marry Warner, who sucks. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So we know that. We know that she does not, she's not woke in that way. And we also know that Vivian is also not really woke in that way, but she's more woke. Like, she recognizes that it's not okay that Callahan treats her like a secretary. So I feel yeah. like this movie would be and, fixed. And she also clocks this moment where Warner, like, tries to convince Elle to betray their client's trust, who has uh, confessed her alibi only to Elle. And so Elle is now like, no, but she is innocent. So we have to treat her like she's innocent and make arguments around her being innocent. And Warner's like, I mean, like, if you tell him, I'm sure you'll get hired on as a summer intern. This would be great. And and Elle's and like, he says Warner, I gave, I gave her my like, word. Yeah, who cares about her? Think of yourself. Yeah. 
who cares about her thinking about yourself? And you see Vivian clocking that and hating it. Yeah. And she you talks and she talks moment. to Elle about it later. She's like, I agree you did the right thing. So like we get the sense that like Yeah, Vivian, I respect that. Yeah. Vivian is more woke. For Vivian sure. has more or at least like understands that like the stakes. Right. And that that there is she understands, I think, systemic uh gender bias and sexism yeah. better than Elle does. And and Mm-hmm. So I feel like this moment would be fixed and we would understand what's happening if the exact same things happen. So Callahan like grabs Elle's leg and is like, you know, if you have sex with me, I will make you like, I'll hire you. This is how this works. And then she storms out. And instead of having Vivian assume that it's Elle's fault, I think what we should have had is she would have stuck her like, you know, the briefs in the in the elevator door to stop it. And she would be like, she'd be like, that was messed up. That is not your fault. Um, and connect yeah, and, it with instead her, we have her, as, her experience. We have her almost as, yeah, we have her almost as the impetus for Elle quitting. Yeah, like, I think that's a because flaw. There's no reason for it to be mm-hmm. that way because Elle doesn't even have to accept it. She could just still be so upset that she continues to storm out. And you could still have the nice moment um of with, course with of professor course. storm stromwell and you the only thing that would be different would be that you wouldn't have to have that moment where we understand that that um oh man what's his name what's uh luke wilson's name i'm looking it up the only thing you would lose is you wouldn't have Emmett being like the wokest of woke bays and being like you don't know what you're talking about like believe other women like what's wrong with you which is sort of nice but you could you could reframe it's, it it's nice but but you could you could have there could there are plenty of people in that room willing to judge L. Yeah. It could have been someone else. Yeah, it could have been, been someone else. You could have just did, who who she had it. I I'm okay with her having a terrible experience with Callahan having one of his like male male associates who like calls uh spas the Lido deck being like I see why you're here. I knew it wasn't your intelligence. You know. Yeah. To reinforce this trauma. And then have both of them speak against it not be not be enough just because like they don't have the same words or credibility that a female professor has, you know? Like that would have right. all been enough. Yeah. I think they you should know? have allowed Vivian to redeem herself in that moment. I don't think she needs to dig herself deeper. I don't think we need the betrayal of Vivian to to convince us that Elle would would jump ship. Like she's already knows she wants to do that when she gets in the elevator. So I don't know. That's like that's like my only real beef with Vivian. I feel like they they they, they tell us they don't show us, and they had a nice opportunity to show us because Vivian does know what's going on in the world. Absolutely, and I I think that is definitely um, a carryover of it being made in two thousand and one, where we didn't have better dialogues around like the fact that women all experience this, so we see other women and believe 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 women. You know, like I. I think it would have been easy for them not to do that. I definitely don't think they could have made this movie today with with that being how that plays out. You know yeah. what I mean? It's possible. I mean, like, still women blame other women for stuff all the time. I don't think it's necessarily, like, outdated. Um, I think that it's just... No, no, just, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm saying that, like, in the way that, like, we create the fictions of the world... A movie that is concerned with the empowerment of women, which I believe this movie is. Oh, yeah. This would not happen. Um, I agree with that. This movie would not include that plot line. That's all no. I'm saying. No, no, no. Or there, there would, it would be something else for sure. Um, but I think that for it's sure. still, I, I think that, that that set piece 
like kind of that world building where you have Vivian experiencing sort of like the same type of sexism, but just like a slightly different flavor of it from Elle, um, helps you understand that Vivian does deserve to be where she is. Like she works really hard and nobody, nobody at all is surprised that she's competent, but they're also not impressed that she's competent. Like they just treat her as if like, well, of course, of course, you're like, you're a frigid bitch and you're over serious. Of course you did the homework. Like, you know, which is another aspect of this, which is crazy because, like, we know Warner doesn't do the work. Explicitly, we know Warner doesn't do the work. So I think she also helps show this this universe of male privilege while all of the women in this story are working hard and doing their best and are talented people, but just can't catch a break because they are not the people who are in charge. Until they are. Emmett might be one of my favorite rom-com like, you know, ac- the actual love interest of all time. It's almost because he's entirely like a maybe like a C plot in this story. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't even really know that they have a romantic uh, relationship until the Chirons. I have sort of like I like that about it, but I-, I like it in that way. But I don't like it for Vivian. But I really think it's nicely done. For Emmett, because yeah, no, me, me, me too. It's important for their because you know he, you know that he is interested in her, basically immediately. Um, Basically immediately, the second that he sees her and can tell that like the way that she's talking about law school is not as though she doesn't belong there. You know, like he never, he never enters into uh, a dialogue in which she doesn't belong there. In fact, there's this amazing moment where. Professor Callahan stops Elle as she's leaving the classroom to be like, have you thought about my internship? You should apply. And she pulls out uh, her resume that's pink. And she says, and it's scented. I think it gives a little something extra. Don't you think? And leaves. And Callahan passes the the resume to Emmett and says, do you think one day she woke up and just said, I think I'm going to be a lawyer. And Emmett says, you know, that lapse in judgment aside, I think she has potential. The lapse in judgment is not the pink resume. It's the idea that you should be a lawyer. And <laughs> yeah. I love that moment. Yeah. I well, and also fucking like he just he doesn't doesn't even miss a beat is like, let's reframe this as being a lawyer is the dumb thing. Not having a pink resume. Well, and also the fact that what Callahan is basically asking in that moment is he's like, hey, other serious man. Would you look down on me if I decided to take this person seriously? And the and Emmett's like, no, I wouldn't. Her resume, like, he, like smells the resume, smells good. Like, you should do this. She's got what it takes. Yeah. You know, she's got what it takes, and she has good taste. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, so Emmett provides that moment between men where the guy's like, I don't know, the optics on this. Is this gonna be okay? And he's like, Yeah, it's gonna be okay. You should give it to her. She deserves it. It's good. Yeah. Um, so that's really solid. Um, you also have the moment where you have uh, Callahan basically being like, Emmett, I own you. You're my research. You're my research assistant. Like, you're my guy. And Emmett being like, no, you don't. Like, I'm going to continue to help Elle because I know that you're a bad person. Uh, in yep. the, in... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to believe women. Yeah. I'm not going to, so... like, let it go inside with uh, the person in power. Who could impact my career yes. long term? Mm-hmm. So I think he's like head and shoulders above um, 
most, definitely most other uh, love interests in rom-coms, but also I would say a lot of love interests in stories that have set out to be more um, progressive than this story is. Like, yeah. Like he is, he is well, literally part of that is a path forward for like how men should behave when faced with yes. women who are like unapologetically themselves and don't fit what you think necessarily they should be in that situation. Yeah, and and I like that. I think part of why it succeeds in that is that I love Emmett's character. I love Luke Wilson. Literally, always have. Um, but one of the reasons why that is, God, please don't, I, I would hate to find out terrible things about Luke Wilson. Um, I know, I know off the top of my head that he's the democratic Owens, uh, like, uh, Wilson brother. That's right. Owen Wilson is a Republican. What? That's, that's a real bummer to find out. Maybe he isn't anymore. That might be old information, but I, that used to be true. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Part of, part of why that's so successful is that he's not a major character. Like, he's there in all the right moments and then fades into the background and lets her shine. And does that both, like, in the story as a construct and also intentionally. Like, is there to support, boost, and assist, but not to, like, claim the space. He's there to amplify her voice. He's he's the best. Yeah. Well, and it's so important for him to take, like, not that you can't write love stories in a way that's feminist, obviously, but it's very important for this story to not be, Elle wants to go to Harvard to win her boyfriend back. She goes to Harvard, realizes that her boyfriend isn't who she really wants, and so she finds somebody else she does love. Like, that is not as good of a story as, like, Elle gets to Harvard, realizes that Warner is not worth her time, and decides that she's going to blaze her own path and become an amazing lawyer. Like, it's just, that's just like a more solid, compelling story. Additionally, we wouldn't have been able to have sort of that lingering doubt, which I, I, I mean, now, because I've seen it a million times, I, I don't have it when I watch it, but I think there was a lingering doubt and fear in the back of my mind that when Warner approaches her after the trial and is like, you're everything I wanted. I see it now. I what a fool I was that she would take him back. Like you have, it maintains that tension, which is very important, I think, in the story, for you to understand, um, understand really how far she's come. That's sort of like the final crushing blow uh, to all the villains, and it's well earned and deserved. So I also like that you don't that they kind of they kind of sideline her other romantic plot line so she can have that moment. My read was just slightly different. My read was that the moment at when she's in the bunny costume at the party and he basically is like, like, why are you here? Like, don't do law school. Like, you don't need to do this. And she realizes that, like, he doesn't take her seriously. I felt like that was the moment where she couldn't have given a fuck about him. Like, I think he, that she's she almost succeeded in spite of him. She Well, she definitely does it 
out of revenge, like to some degree. I think that it's more, it's not like, it's not like a true threat. It's just a little element of dramatic tension where that is released at the end because she also does not not tell him. We get that moment that everyone would want. Right. And she also doesn't tell him off in that moment. Instead, she basically is like, she defends herself. She says, well, I think, I mean, I got into law school. I got in the same place. She doesn't tell him that he's a bad person. And it wouldn't make sense for her to tell him he's a bad person in that moment because she's totally blindsided. No, you're you're absolutely right. She needs like a moment to reflect. And then they just, they withhold that so long that I think that there's just like Yeah, they withhold, you're right. They withhold that resolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just kind of left there. It's not about her necessarily it's not about the audience being unsure whether or not like she still wants warner it's more about that not getting resolved until the last moment in a way that's really satisfying yeah i would all right second i second that and it also has to be that way because the story it bookends the story so well she starts out sniveling and crying over him and then at the end she leaves him in the dust like that's very necessary and if that happened in the middle of the story it wouldn't have been as impactful. Like that's like that's like the final where Absolutely. you're like she's completely moved past. Like she is, she has gotten her groove back. Like it's important, and it's important that she does it while she's not dressed up the way she thinks she needs to to fit in with the people he wants her to be. A theme I did not expect or remember from this, but felt really clear to me watching it again, is about how academia. Um, and especially, and, and through this lens, like snooty East Coast Ivy League academia, values, yep. the things they value uphold gatekeeping and classism by creating all of these little side characters that are also secretly, sneakily, not as obviously as L, but also fishes out of water. And I liked that. I thought that that was very clever. I did not pick up on that when I was a kid, and I picked up on it so hard <laughs> this time around. Um, and I thought it was, yeah. I thought, it, I thought it went beautifully with Warren as a, uh, as a, as a, you know, privileged, undeserving man. Like you kind of get the sense that this world also like fosters these people and actively encourages them. So quick, just a quick rundown. Yeah, the, the men who fail upwards. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. So you have Enid who is more accepted because she seems smart. She's like more of a serious academics type of person. Um, but she's gay. She's queer. And so therefore she still has and is like seen as angry. So you still have waspy Queen Bee Vivian uh, gossiping clearly about her sexuality, making fun of her and um, using dyke as a derogatory term to refer to her. So Enid is mm-hmm. also experiencing her own fish out of water story, which was far more like uh, progressive than I expected it to be. Honestly, like, yeah, absolutely. I, I wish that we got any sort of resolution with that character um, or any more time with that character. I understand why we didn't um, in terms of the times that we had. But yeah, absolutely. She is a fish out of water, um, working really hard to try and combat that. And it's almost like the middle school kind of dynamic of no one wants to be at the very bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. So, so she's punching down. Going to middle school is everybody, everybody's punching down. Yeah. Everybody is punching down. Doesn't matter who your friends are. They are, they are a target to keep you from being at the bottom in the next second. What you really want is you want the kind of resolution that happens with David Kidney. So David Kidney, if you recall, is the one who's deworming orphans yes, in Somalia. I, so yeah. 
he's accepted. Who's, who's on the spectrum. Yeah, obviously. So, like, right? yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. Who obviously is smart, but socially awkward. Like, you know, he's respected probably, but, like, he's not an alpha male, right? So he's no. still, even though he's, like, in the club, he still can't expect to, like, get dates with his Harvard peers because they think he's dorky and he's not above, he's not up to their standards, right? So mm-hmm. L gives him a solid and basically gives him, like, social cred by pretending yeah. that she social spent a night with him. by pretending, like, mm-hmm. yeah. And that it was, like, it, it was incredible, and now suddenly people look at him differently. We needed something like that with Enid. But that's an equal, I think, sort of fish-out-of-water background story that happens. I agree. And you get the sense, I mean, maybe it was on the cutting room floor, maybe that they just kind of, like, allowed it to be, like, visual language. But they both are there for her and, like, smiling at her at, definitely in her trial and definitely at graduation. So, like, it focuses on them, too. So you get the sense that they don't completely go away, that they become probably more important to her. And and then, of course, we already kind of talked about it, but, like, Paulette, uh, Elle is not afraid to be friends with someone who is of a lower class than her, right? Like, that's that's fine. The way that probably her East Coast classmates were desperate to fit in would. Um, And I think what it's hinting at is that uh, even though... They 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 act very dismissive of like the West Coast value of bikini bo- bodies and things like that. That these East Coast people have equally vapid concerns. Like, who are your parents? Did you go to the right schools? Who are your friends? Are you a cis white straight man? Okay, those are the things that are actually important. Not really who you are as a person or like you know how you treat other people. And that's really cool in this story and yeah. it's and it's like kind of the only place i feel like where they sort of take a little bit of the piss out of harvard and it's so desperately needed i think i agree 100 percent. yeah but i liked that theme i thought it was a cool a, a no, cool that's... sneaky sneaky thing i think even before we kind of had a concept of what that would be yeah i don't i, I definitely didn't know the term gatekeeping and and now that you put uh, you put language to it, that's exactly what it was. And it was something we recognized as being bad and gross when it was happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it goes so perfectly with both uh, Warner and Callahan as bad guys, right? Cal- Absolutely. Like, Warner is the is the person who They're in is... They're club. Right. And is, is... Exceeds because of... Excels and, like, climbs the ranks because of this gatekeeping. He benefits from the gatekeeping, right? And then you have Callahan sort of systematically driving little wedges and sectioning off and deciding, like, oh, you're my intern. Yeah, you're the intern that gets me coffee. And you're the intern that I take seriously. And you're the intern I take seriously, but I'm also afraid of, so I'm going to try to sexually humiliate you. Like, you know, he's doing a similar thing. Just he's at the top of the food chain, so he can kind of decide where people are going to fall. Um, Absolutely, it's 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 a good it's a good pairing with our with our villains. What's what's another theme you want to talk about? Um, I I thought that this movie did a good job with, and I've kind of spoken to this throughout, but um, women coming into power. Uh, so I'm going to be restating some stuff, but. 
we've talked about the party. We've talked about like Warner basically blowing her off and being like, I don't know why you're here. This is hard. Why would you do this? And she's like, like, am I on glue? Like we took the same LSATs. Like we got into the same college. We're in the same classes. Like I'm clearly not like so super dumb compared to you. Um, but that's the moment where she reaches a turning point in which I think as an audience, you don't think she's holding on. She's not, pine- she's not there because she's pining after Warner. Um, and like there, in fact, there's no impression of that, uh, or that she thinks she, he's hot. Uh, she kind of realizes then that like, he kind of sucks and they underestimated her and they took a, uh, and takes us an opportunity to get revenge. But like, instead of like revenge bot, it's revenge mind, which I'm super into. Uh, we see, and, and the movie still delivers on, like, getting to see the ex crawling back to her. Um, but even then, there isn't, like, a fucking moment where you think she's going to be like, Warner, thank you for seeing me. I love you. Like, you get to instead see her tell him the reality that you as an audience gets to see. Um, in, the, in the musical version of Legally Blonde, they actually change the plot to make it less feminist um it's i not... did not know that that's horrible yeah i yeah I, I almost didn't want to mention it but like uh emmett the emmett character um is the reason why she gets serious like he basically drags her into like working hard or something um i much prefer him just being there to witness her working hard instead um also just like that's who, just like, not observes, believable like, her... like nobody is motivated it's, that it's way. not it's a st- it's the stupidest, stupidest shit. But, like, I <clears throat> I really, really love that um, you've already said that this movie treats all the women kindly. But, like, that even even the moment that changes her mind is delivered by um, Holland Taylor uh, as as a moment to, to say, if you're going to let one prick ruin your life... You're not the woman I thought you were, which means I have thought of you and I have judged you as being awesome. So go forth and be awesome because other people, other women see you and believe in you. And that's like, that's the powerful thing is that like when people come to her trial, Paulette brings, you know, the guy, the UPS guy that she's into, but like it's Paulette, it's Margot and Serena, like it's these women. Yeah, it's her friends. It's the people. It's the people who believed in her the whole time and like want to be there for her. I also think that that Stromwell stuff is so awesome because it admits that Stromwell herself, like the prototypical serious woman, right? The most serious woman potentially we see in the entire story. It doesn't matter that she's serious. She also gets like she also gets kicked around by men because that's just the way it is. So it doesn't really matter what kind of a person you are. It's that, it's that they're going to always, they're going to always try. The bastards are always going to try to get you down and you just can't let them because it's not, it's not an option. Grind you down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's also like super powerful is the sense that even if you're a professor Stromwell, who is, you know, clearly on top of everything, and clearly belongs and is a professor and has like all of this, all of this cred, even she, get, you know, has to deal with this. That it's, it's a, Absolutely. it's an epidemic that needs to be solved, you know? Um, Absolutely. And I think that's what gives, gives Elle some strength. It's not, it's not anything about her. It's not about her. It's about them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's their problem, not her problem. 
when it comes to coming of age elements in the story, um, I I do love that they uh sustain the the ever effective new environments fish out of water uh, uh element, um, and also self actualization when we yeah. see like Elle like really claim herself and go in and buy a computer because capitalism is part of self actualization. Um, but she doesn't buy a normal computer. She buys a cute computer. No, she buys a she buys a cute computer. She gets the orange, um, the original like uh, iMac. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think that I think that stories that are about how important it is to be true to yourself and and the, the that the key to your success and the key to your ability to thrive is actually being the person that you are. Um, are kind of dismissed often as being, like, a story that's important to tell children and teenagers, right? That that's, like, an idea. And then when you get old and grizzled, that what you realize actually is that you have to conform to be successful. It's, like, this, like, beautiful lie we tell children and then we're like, nope, don't worry. Post-college will beat you out of that. Um, But I don't think that's true. I think because of that reason... That it's very important for adults to see stories like this. I was surprised by how yeah. moved I was to watch this um, as a as a thirty year old, a, thir- a person in my thirties, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I was like, Mary, you're thirty. Am I? Am I thirty? <laughs> uh, now I'm gonna start lying about my age, but only by one year. Um, I distinctly remember. So one of the first jobs that I applied to out of grad school. Um, I did not get, and I was told explicitly why I did not get the job, which is rare, which is a rare thing. And they could have been lying to me, but it feels so um, petty that I don't think it is a lie. I doubt it. And they told me that the reason I didn't get the job is because I kept using the word awesome in my interview. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's those are the benefits? Those sound good. That's awesome. Um <sighs> And that that literally makes my blood boil. And, and I mean, literally, I'm dying over here with the boiling blood anyway. Right. And I remember at the time feeling very ashamed and feeling like I was childish. And I was, I was like 23 years old. So I was. But, you know, like. I, I remember in starting to internalize that and be like, oh, I can't I have to really like watch what I say. And then I was like, you know, no, if I can't use the word awesome at my workplace, that's not going to be a place I'm going to enjoy working. Um, yeah. So, of course, like everybody, everybody has a work face. It's different from your life face. It's different from your friend face or your family face. Like, I get it. Like, Everybody does conform a little bit to their environment. That is normal and human behavior. But you shouldn't have to contort yourself into a pretzel to just make it in the world. Because sometimes stuff is awesome and you get to say it. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? Hell yeah. So, right? I love saying that things are awesome. I also love saying things are dope, which is the least work appropriate thing. But you know what? I am exactly me. And I'd like you to hire me for being me. Yeah. You 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 get all my degrees. You get my insights. You get my work experience. But you also get me. And that's a bonus, not a detractor. Fuck you guys. To anyway. this day, I make a point of using the word awesome at every interview I ever go to. Just to stick Good. it. Just to stick it to that hospital administrator. Um, yeah, like, also. I'm sorry so you don't want things to be job. awesome. This is this is total sidebar, but I always think about this when people talk about like 
my my enthusiasm in general is some discussion at work, which is like that I'm very enthusiastic. Um, you and I have talked about how like we have to be cheerleaders for our teams because no one else is. Like, yeah, that's, no, it's that's like very, a work dynamic. Yeah, it's yeah. very important. Um, and it's a service I provide. Um, yeah. but, Emotional um, labor we take on. But I always think about taking um, a Myers-Briggs test. And one of the questions was, I find it hard to get excited about things. And I just like, I literally like, like I was in a movie, <laughs> like kind of cast my eyes heavenward. And I remembered that the, literally, literally earlier that night, I was sitting on my couch, pumping my fists in the arm air going, pizza 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 and i was like gonna have to hard disagree with you on that pretty easy to get me excited about stuff it's one of the things i love the most about you there you go there you go it does not take uh strong opinions enthusiastically shouted um is, is how i would describe myself um, <laughs> oh, that's how I would describe a podcast sometimes. There you go. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Paulette's got some real doozies in this. Uh, she uses the R word a couple of times. Oof. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're diving goof. right into to what's problematic. Uh, yeah. Yep, that's... that's mm-hmm. Not great. Not great. Um, uh, we, we could do a queer most sound off of... We got the... The angry dyke, not yep. the end of the world. And I'm using that word because I enjoy that word, but also like that word is used in this film as like a, clearly that's what she's being labeled as by other people. Um, yeah. And they do not mean it kindly. Yeah. And, and like, <clears throat> I think that the owl stereotype, the older white lesbian would have been more fun. Like if Holland Taylor was explicitly gay. You know, that would have that would have been great. But then what is her name? What's the lesbian's name? Oh, Enid. Name? Because then Enid wouldn't have to be a monolith uh, for lesbians. Correct. And it might also I say I don't even know her name because I didn't. Um, yeah. Enid so, yeah. Wexler. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I would also like to, to, to sign off the other the other queers in this movie for problematic stuff. Ugh. We we have uh, the pool boy. Enrique. Uh, Enrique. Uh, who is, uh, him and his lover's quarrel is entirely stereotypes. They're not the most damaging stereotypes. You know, they're obviously worse than, like, two gays who are, like, in a quarrel. Um, but, like, a, you know, the conniving gay trying to, I, you know, it's, it's not great. And, and on top of that, this brings in Brooke. And Brooke's like, she has <clears throat> a cabana boy uniform. That is solidly sexual harassment. Yeah, no. Yeah, um, nope. And she also then judges him for wearing it and says a Delta New would never sleep with a man who wore a thong. Um, wait, what? Yeah, you like, put, seriously, you like, put wait, him in the what? thong. Yeah, yeah, real, real, real. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, that's 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 my queer sound off. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. So you cannot have a movie. That celebrates blonde hair without talking about the fact that hair is political and that, especially in this movie, we are celebrating pretty blindingly white beauty standards that serve the white supremacy. Like, 100%. Like, that's problematic. Like, I, so I'm a brunette. 
I remember as a child watching it, and when she says, like, did you see the icky brown, when Elle says, you see the icky brown color of her hair about uh, the the murdered husband's ex-wife, I remember, like, feeling bad about being a brunette in that moment. Like, I was like, oh, that's such a bummer. Especially since, like, Elle is so kind, like, infinitely kind and excellent Eminently to everybody. Kind in so many other contexts. Yeah. But, like, in that Unnecessary. moment, like, you see her, like... Yeah, responding to the bias she is met with, with like her own uh, bias and judgment and bigotry, it's gross. And you're and you're absolutely right. Like all brown, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, That's- curly hair is for villains. They make a really big deal. the The whole story focuses around the fact that the bat, the the ultimate, like kind of the, the villain in the case, the murderer in the case. Yeah. Right. Linda Carlini. Right. Mm-hmm gets her hair permed. She has curly hair. Nobody else in this movie has curly hair like Linda Cardellini yeah, has in this see, movie. We don't, yeah, we don't see another perm in this entire movie. And I don't think I need to tell you that, like, dark hair, curly hair. I mean, especially at this time, like, you know, Elle has those, like, wild, like, uh, like, Breck girl wave kind of hair, which is, which is not, which is not natural. Like, nobody has curly hair like that. It's not a nope. natural thing. Nope. You make that with a curling iron, and that's fine. Yep. But, that's like... Fine. I've curled my hair, you know. Yeah. I curl my hair all the time. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, But, like, if... You, I believe that if I sat and watched this movie with a young black girl, I would feel like I needed to apologize in a, a lot yeah. of times for that and be like listen you know like mm, yeah hair, hair's not actually better um here's a racial issue political. and i don't mm-hmm. think that they do anything at all to help themselves to in that way that? not no. at all and else no, here is they, like the whitest of white hair that's possible in yeah. this movie yeah it's very um not it's not fully ash blonde it's it's like they call it like neutral blonde um which makes right. it, like, the most blonde blonde you can be. Yep. Right. And she, like, does it in a bunch of different styles. And she clearly, like, there's... I think that there's something crazy. Like, she has, like, 40 different hairstyles, of course, in this movie. Because it's, it's a movie that celebrates her hair. So, like, I get it. But... Absolutely. It's 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 titular hair. Yeah. But I think I think that, you know, we have to... We have to think about it. Um, I always uh, recall a, uh, a a friend of mine in college who's a black woman who said that um, she always feels like it's a microaggression. I don't think she had the language for it then because we didn't. I don't think I knew what a microaggression was when I was in college. Sure. Um, but she would talk about how like when she would see women like white women with really long hair and they'd be like throwing their hair around. How like she'd be like, I f-, and she's like, I know it's not personal, but I take it personally. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. When I watch this movie, I kind of get it. Like, it's about as close yeah. as I, I think I can get to getting it. Um, so well, I, I think that's a problem. That's a problem in this movie. Yeah. It's a Willow blind Smith's, spot. Uh, yeah, Willow Smith's music video, I whip my hair back and forth. Um, I remember, I you know, I was in college when that came out, or I just graduated college, um, but I was working uh, I was working at the college in a fellowship capacity, and I was really impressed by that. And I was like, look, you know, someone like embracing, like, you know, not like, not like relaxed hair. And the black woman was like, that's not natural hair. Your hair can't be that long. Like, those are, those are extensions. And I was like, oh, I shows what I know because we don't talk about or educate unless you're uh, seeking it out. 
Um, there so are so this is one of the like if this is something that you find yourself wondering about this is one of like the most well documented and easy like what a great yeah. what a great on ramp to understand like weird stuff between white women and black women just like yeah. dive into the myriad documentaries um articles books about hair and race yeah i'm looking up uh yeah good hair um yep. was was the first one that i saw that uh that dealt with this where um it was prompted by uh chris rock's daughter asking him a question about uh about hair um the phrase good hair becoming probably on a lot more white women's um radars with um Beyonce's song referencing Becky with the good hair uh Mm -hmm. you know yeah so it's something you can engage in uh in 2011 even I I didn't I I had lots to learn just like I still do Mm -hmm. yeah no it's a that's a it's a great it's it's a great and interesting piece and then once you start digging into like if you know if this is something that interests you once you start digging into like the racist drivers behind beauty standards uh yeah western beauty standards that are um are literally set up that if you uh have if you have been enslaved and then brought over and then like forced to like mm, yeah we it's not a mistake it's the bottom line no it's just another way in which we control people it's a macroaggression. It's not a microaggression. Yeah, it's not a micro. I love, yep. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I had an issue with is the Shallow Girls storyline. You kind of spoke to this where, uh, you know, there are these two girls and one of them's like insulting. You already said his name. What's his name? Um, oh, David Kidney. Yeah. There are these two girls and they're insulting David Kidney and Elle overhears them and she like, you know, and they're turning him over for being a loser. Turning him, they're turning him down for being a loser. And Elle comes over and is like, you know, uses her privilege, says, her social uses privilege, her privilege to like, uh, and her social privilege and her social, um, her social capital to mm-hmm. uh to amp- boost him. I think that this scene would have felt like less gross because I felt like it was a judgment on those girls for being shallow. If these girls looked a little bit more like something from Elle's past, mm. if they sounded a little bit more like sorority, if, if they looked like something that Elle might have turned a blind eye to in the past, then this would have felt more yeah. impactful to me. That's, yeah. that's the only thing I wanted to say on that. Those those girls, those girls are kind of an oddity. We get the sense that they are also Harvard students, but they're kind of coded yeah. sort of between. They're kind of between like an Elle and a Vivian. I, I think I yeah. almost would like it better if it was one or or the other, like, so that you could have sort of, like, visual shorthand for, oh, like, a lesser... Which, which kind of privilege are we dealing with? Right. And I, and I feel like it would have been more powerful if, if Elle was going to be the person to respond, if it was something that Elle was looking in the face that, like, she could have easily fallen into. Kind of like how... Cordelia in the beginning of Buffy is supposed to be positioned as who Buffy could have been if she was not the Slayer. Yeah. Like that's why Cordelia starts with such a vapid mess. Yeah. Um it's because But then turns into that, like, the hero that we wish we had. But then gets absolute, bottled absolutely. off to Angel, which I am not I'm not here for. Um Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm I, I don't I don't want to watch Angel have a fair. whole show. Jeez. Uh jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yuck. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want to deal with Angel. Um <laughs> just I just don't. Um, yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got, too. All right, so 
we're now about the end, guys. Uh, <laughs> I love that I said gut. We all have our internalized languages. Hey, we're at the end. Uh, Mary, does this movie work? Is it feminist or interesting from a feminist perspective? And would you recommend it? Yes, 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 I would. I think it's very fun. I think that it is surprisingly deep um, and has uh, has a lot of layers. I, I kind of remember being like a teenager and listening to other like so a couple years removed from liking this movie, seeing this movie in theaters. Now I'm like probably like 16 and having fr- uh, friends that I liked quite a bit talk dismissively of this movie and I think that at the time I was just kind of like oh yeah probably like haha and I remember being like but I thought it was pretty good and I'm glad <laughs> to say that 16 year old Mary you were right it is yeah, pretty good hell yeah. I don't know what those people's problems were um, yeah 19 years later that's this right. movie holds up surprisingly well that's right. it has caveats there are some downsides obviously there are more black people in Harvard obviously there are more there's more that we should address. I'm not sure about that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't mean at the school. I mean like literally in the region. Um, oh, oh, you know, oh, Harvard, oh! In Massachusetts, yeah. Well, yeah. Mm, no, I'm kidding. Yes, there, of course yeah. there are. <laughs> um, but yeah, after 19 years, it does hold up pretty, pretty fucking well, and it's a good time, and and it and it's some campy fun, like it is. in a way that like surprised me to revisit. Like I had always loved it, but I had never like I didn't know enough about camp at the time, um, to know like what exactly it was leveraging to be as good as it is. Yeah, me too. Um, it's sort of a funny movie to watch now. I mean, we'd agreed to watch this, um, long, long time ago, uh, earlier this year. And so it's sort of funny to, to watch this sort of like movie that so, um, unashamedly celebrates, um, white beauty standards right now yeah, i'm just like oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's definitely like a, a collar tug moment you know? right like, right yeah. mm-hmm. i i think i think that if you shouldn't feel bad though like i think that this movie does not it does not it does not know what it's doing in that way i suspect um, but yeah. it deserves to be yeah, called no, out. It's not, it's not intentionally malicious. No, but it does deserve to be called out. So I think that mm-hmm. it is helpful if you want to watch it now because um, you want to have a bit of fun and you need a little bit of a break because lots of stuff is very heavy right now. I think that's totally and fine. compassion fatigue is a real thing. And guys, it's better to take care of yourself so you can keep a movement going than yep. to burn out and ignore it later. So yep. take yep. breaks occasionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think maybe... As, as Mary once told me... Put your oxygen mask on first before punching Nazis. Yep. Um, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's a lot easier to punch Nazis if they're struggling to breathe. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> deprive them of oxygen. Ha ha. Uh-huh. Um, but like, yeah. So like do those things and then maybe use this as an excuse to like jump off and think about like how much media we have that just totally doesn't even consider that other, not everybody is white. Media? Yeah. yeah, or one hundred percent. Or think about like this movie, like wh- how how do you, we didn't even really touch on this, but it's it's interesting. How do you square yourself with this movie if you're not beautiful? If you don't feel beautiful? If you're not beautiful by conventional standards? I think that that's also worth some some consideration. Yeah, um, I I think that they try to open up like what is considered beautiful, but in just tiny tiny spaces and not enough. Yeah. Um, and I really think it's more like they'd be like, well, Elle would never think that you weren't beautiful. 
Like yeah. she's and she kind of has. And I believe that. Yeah, and she kind of has that moment where we talk about like Brooke, like they're like Brooke, like maybe even Emmett says this, where like it's Brooke makes her living telling women they're fat, and she's like Brooke would never tell a woman she's fat, and now I'm like, well, Elle, I mean, like being called fat's actually like totally fine, um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. people mean it in a mean way, it's, but there's nothing wrong yeah, with it's, it. It's literally just a descriptor until you put a value judgment on it. Yep, which, like, let's be real. 100% of people who are using it tend to do. So. Yeah, no, no, no. We're not. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. We are not. Like, it doesn't It doesn't have to be an inherent negative thing. We just, yeah. as a society, do that, which is shit. Yeah. It's fucking shit. But we're mm. uh, we're living in a post-Roxanne uh, Gay, Lindy West world, so I think, we can, I think we can conquer that. We're taking on everything. We're doing it. Yeah. First, defund I the police. That's important. Then mm-hmm. tackle health care. Well, on a couple of different metrics, including the fact that they're really bad to fat people. Um, yep. For kind of no reason. Love it. Yep. Well, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next time where we're going to visit Get Out. We have been talking about uh, watching this Jordan Peele instant classic that immediately uh, elevated Jordan Peele uh, in terms of... Uh, directors and and filmmakers in general to look out for uh so come on and join us i'm really excited about it i think it'll be a lot of i think it'll be a really lovely time because it's a fabulous movie um yeah and it's a movie i mean i think it is much of a movie as it is um about the black experience, right? What it is to be a black person and, and experiencing the world and dealing with white people. I think it's also like a wonderful, uh, it, it can be, I learned things about myself as a white person um, it while watching yes. it. Yes. Like, it it's does a great job very of instructional. white people and, and the ways in which we can contribute to micro, macroaggressions and also just like, the ways in which privilege and everything can be operationalized. It's a very important movie and everyone should watch it. So we're going to. It's going to be great. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. Thanks for listening to Space Bros. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and re- leave us a review. It really helps us and we also appreciate it because, yeah, we're not paid for this. Be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash space dash bras to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts also find or follow us on instagram and twitter at space underscore bras yeah and now join us as we raise our glasses and give the official toast of space bras in these troubled times every time i say it i'm like this is the bottom and then no yeah Um, in these troubled and troubling times (laughs) yeah well, and also these times that have been happening for a very long time. And, you know, finally, good. I'm glad. I'm glad movement I'm glad. has happened. Like, yes. it's not that we, it's not that these activists haven't been saying it this long. It's just that finally. There's f- a confluence of events that have allowed this to be center stage in the way in which it always has needed to be. Beautifully stated. Mm-hmm. We must remember, even though everyone else might suck, especially, uh, especially people who are in charge of, quote-unquote, maintaining our laws and keeping everyone safe. Upholding white hegemony and supremacy. Mm -hmm. Yep, those people especially. Uh, We and so many of you and all the people out in the streets and 
our our fantastic leaders and advocates that are showing us the the light at the end of this tunnel and leading the way are awesome. I don't care what my former almost employer thinks of that word. They we are, and the galaxy is ours. Outrageous.